Before I begin my sermon today, I would like all the people who helped put on the auction to please stand. They worked tirelessly, and for those of you who weren't able to make it, talk to them. I think it was a wonderful event. It was great to see this congregation coming together and to enjoy each other for an evening of fine food and wine and just um, companionship and the most important to make money for the church so I, I thank you for this wonderful successful event and so glad that I could be a part of it um, and if you get a chance I know Nancy Taylor isn't here today because she's probably recuperating but make sure you just drop her a note or tell her uh, thank you for her, her wonderful effort. So sometimes it takes a little craziness. Hmm. You know, when I was preparing the sermon today, I thought about craziness and about how sometimes in our lives, as we have craziness in all the things that are coming at us, that we need to think about what does it mean to be a people of attention? This question causes me to ponder about just how sometimes in our lives, of all the craziness and in those unusual moments, we are asked to pay attention and sometimes we're even forced by the crazy events to pay attention. Sister Joyce Rupp, an award-winning author and conference speaker, stated, No matter how pressed my life is or how fraught with difficulty, I do eventually wake up. My desire to be aware is restored most often through finally stopping or being stopped by the sheer magnificence, magnific magnificence of creation. I have been ambushed by the power of the moon, held captive by fireflies, dancing at dusk, bowled over by wobbly white shoots beneath a rock, pushing their way out to life, moved to tears by the sight of a small finch falling from the roof. I have lain on the picnic table and gazed at the stars in sheer ecstasy until I thought the only option for my heart was to die at that very moment. I have sat still, stood attentively, hiked happily, skied freely, gardened with quiet vigor, and all with intention of becoming more aware of life around and within me. When I have freed my spirit to become aware, I have never failed to find meaning and hope, gratitude and peace, comfort and encouragement. I discovered what the sister was talking about through an experience that I had in my first year of seminary. In my first year of seminary, we were asked as an assignment to take a 10-minute walk in our neighborhood. And I thought, well, that's, that's a pretty easy thing. But we were asked to really stop and to really look and so I thought I knew my neighborhood pretty well, and 
I began my walk and I was completely surprised as I discovered parts of the neighborhood that I'd never really taken the time to see. I remember seeing the various styles of home and the manner in which they were being cared for, the flowers, and the neatness of many of them. And I noticed the tall trees that surrounded the area and I heard the many birds that were coming from the woods. I heard the children playing and the roar of the lawnmowers and the high-pitched sounds of the leaf blowers. And as I continued my walk, I noticed the retaining pond at the edge of the housing development. And I discovered a bench by the pond and sat down. In my rush to drive in and out of my neighborhood, I had never noticed the bench. I sat on that bench and looked up at the sky and felt a sense of belonging and connection to myself, to the world, to a higher power. Through the past years, each time when I am home, I take the opportunity to go for a walk in my neighborhood, and each time it's, it's as if I am seeing things for the first time. And my attention is in the moment, and the craziness of my world and situation seems less important. A man sat at a metro station in Washington, D.C. and started to play the violin. It was a cold January morning, and he played six Bach pieces for about 45 minutes. During the time it was rush hour, it was calculated that thousands of people went through the station, most of them on their way to work. Three minutes went by, and a middle-aged man noticed there was a musician playing. He slowed his pace and stopped for a few seconds and then hurried up to meet his schedule. A minute later, the violinist received his first dollar tip. A woman threw the money in the till and without stopping continued to walk. A few minutes later, someone leaned against the wall to listen to him, but the man looked at his watch and started to walk again. Clearly, he was late for work. The one who paid the most attention was a three-year-old boy. His mother tagged him along, hurried, but the kid stopped to look at the violinist. And finally, the mother pushed hard and the child continued to walk, turning his head all the time. This action was repeated by several other children. All the parents, without exception, forced them to move on. In the 45 minutes the musician played, only six people stopped and stayed for a while. About 20 gave him money but continued to walk their normal pace. He collected $32. When he finished playing and the silence took over, no one noticed it. No one applauded, nor was there any recognition. No one knew this, but the violinist was Joshua Bell, one of the best musicians in the world. And he played one of the most intricate pieces ever written with a violin that was worth $3.5 million. Two days before his playing in the subway, Joshua Bell sold out a theater in Boston and the seats averaged $100 each. Joshua Bell playing incognito in the metro station was a plan organized by the Washington Post as part of a social experiment about perception tastes, and priorities of people. The outlines were in a commonplace environment at an inappropriate hour, and the questions were, 
Do we perceive beauty? Do we stop to appreciate it? Do we recognize talent in an unexpected content? And do we really pay attention? One of the possible conclusions from this experience could be that if we don't have a moment to stop and listen to one of the best musicians in the world playing the best music ever written, how many other things are we missing? The Washington Post reporter Gene Warrington, who organized the event, quoted, the fiddler standing against a bare wall outside the metro in an indoor arcade at the top of the escalators was one of the finest classical musicians in the world playing some of the most elegant music. But if we don't have a moment to stop and listen, what other things do we miss because we are too busy to pay attention? The demands and distractions of our fast-paced workday can indeed stand in the way of us approaching and appreciating truth and beauty. Sometimes it takes a little crazy attention to get your attention. I'm reminded of a story from the Old Testament about the prophet Elijah. Now, Elijah is in Old Testament in Kings, and during the historical period of the time, there were two kingdoms. There was the kingdom of Israel to the south, or the kingdom of Israel to the north, and the kingdom of Judah to the south. And we learned that um, God, according to in the scriptures, had called Elijah to go and warn King Arab in the north that unless they changed their ways, there would be a catastrophic drought so severe that not even dew would form because Arab and his queen and, and the rest of them had begun to worship a false god called Baal. And so Elijah was instructed to teach them to worship God and not, these false, not this false uh, idol. Elijah's challenge was bold and direct and this Baal was the Canaanite god that they held responsible for rain, thunder, lightning, and dew. And so Elijah, when he announced that the drought, he not only ch he challenged the priests of Baal and Arab to a duel, basically saying that do what you need to do, prepare your sacrifice to your god, and I'll prepare to mine, and we'll see who answers. And so Elijah, in this test of powers, the people of Israel, which is Arab, gather their 400 prophets and 400 others, and they were summoned to Mount Carmel, as we read in 1 Kings. They built an altar for Baal. Wood was laid on the altar, an ox slaughtered, cut into pieces. And then the Elijah invited them to pray for fire to light the sacrifice. And as we read further, they prayed from morning to noon without success, so Elijah builds an altar with 12 stones. He digs a trench around it, lays wood on it, slaughters an ox, cuts it up, and lays it on the wood. And now he orders that the sacrifice in the altar be drenched with water from four large jars, and so it is. 
And then he asked God to accept the sacrifice. So fire falls down from the sky as we read, consuming the sacrifice, the stones of the altar itself, and the earth and the water and the trench as well. And Elijah, Elijah prays earnestly for rain to fall on the land and the rain begins, signaling the end of a famine. So a Hebrew writer interprets this story as an example of Elijah while hunkered down in a cave heard the still small voice from within and followed it to perform a great work. And the writer goes on to state that the holy waits in our world as well. How many of you have had an experience of hearing that whispering and either following it or not following it? That reminds me of an experience I had while serving as a hospital chaplain I had been summoned to a patient's room where he had asked for a chaplain to stop by. And I had been on the job as a chaplain for less than a week and was quite green and had a lot to learn. I remember walking into the patient's room and noticing right away that a whole group of family and loved ones were gathered around his bedside. And the patient was sitting up and I greeted him, introduced myself, and asked him if there was something that I could do for him. He said, chaplain, can you pray with me? And I said, yes. But then that part of me that wanted to be accepted and prove to this family that I was a good chaplain took over. And I went around the room and I asked each person or a group of people who they were and how I might be able to assist them. And the response was always the same. Chaplain, can you pray with us? Finally, after the third time of hearing that I finally inside put aside my preconceived notions and realized that the best thing I could do was to pray with this family. I did that, and we all felt the presence of goodness and love. I thanked the family, and the patient left the room and sat down and thought about what had just transpired. It took three times for me to pay attention to what the family wanted because I was too busy following my own perceived agenda. And I wonder how many times in our own lives it takes a lot to wake us up, to grab our attention, because many times we are too busy saying and acting to our own agenda or saying and doing what we think people want to hear. In our community, as in any community, this can be a common occurrence. It requires all of us to have a listening posture, to pay attention. And sometimes in paying attention is to be aware of how we might be able to help someone in need. I have the unique experience of every Sunday looking out upon you and to see your faces. I see the joy, I see concern, I see loneliness, I see love. In this past week, I saw what paying attention to when a need arises, how this community can step up and help each other. We had a member that had to be rushed to the hospital. And two members stepped in and went to the hospital and were with him and his wife and stayed with them until the member could be released. This was love in action. 
and is an example of paying attention to how and when you can be of help. The strength of our faith is in the community which we have. When I see actions such as these, it gives me great joy. For this is what being in community is all about. We are here in this faith community to support, to encourage, to help one another. In fact, we even have a church covenant that states that. Let me read to you our church covenant. As a community of love and hope, we covenant together to welcome with open minds and hearts all who gather here, newcomers, members, and friends, to nurture one another with caring words, kind actions, and compassionate concern, to share ideas freely, listen willingly, disagree respectfully, and forgive easily, to inspire one another, youngest to oldest, to thrive in body, mind, and spirit, to work cooperatively toward our goals and openly appreciate each other's unique gifts, to enrich our congregational life by participating, leading, pledging, and giving, to celebrate life and savor its diversity, beauty, and creativity. This covenant when followed can be used as a tool to help us to pay attention to each other, to treat each other with love and respect, and to help each other. May we all remember this covenant, and may we all take the time this week to see the beauty in our surroundings, to find joy in those times when we listen to that voice within and follow it. And during the craziness of our lives, may we stop and ponder and offer gratitude for who we are, for what we are, and for those who are in our lives. May it be so.